Hi, I'm Vanessa Lewis and this is... Drew Barrymore. I mean Sharon Chisholm. <laughs> and you're listening to... The, the Mental as Anything, Anything podcast. Okay, uh, Drew, shall I call you Drew today? Or? <laughs> By all means, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this week we thought we'd talk about stigma. Um, it, it's not a very funny subject, but we're going to make a little bit of light of it as yeah. we already started. <laughs> So I guess stigma, as we've, dis- you know, you and I just sort of discussed, for me, stigma has two ugly faces to it. Number yep. one is the uh, stigma that is portrayed um, in the media in terms of anyone that has a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is um, the unknown uh, as a normal person of not knowing what that particular diagnosis means or what the range is. Yep. So... I thought we'd talk about that. So today, would you mind sharing how it was for you when you started sharing your diagnosis? Um, You know, actually, I think I've been very lucky in that, you know, having done a lot of work on myself over the years and having worked as a coach, um, I came to a place fairly quickly once I had my new diagnosis of bipolar disorder a place of acceptance because I knew that I could either continue to fight against this diagnosis um, or I could accept it and get the help. So really when I started talking about it, I just viewed it as a way to help other people, mm. to help other people not have to go through the years of you know wrong diagnosis um, that I went through. And so, you know, if, if there were people who judged me, for my being open about it, then I don't know about it because mm. I was... You've got good friends. Oh, well, because I've got good friends. You've got awesome friends. I, do, I have the best friends, Vanessa. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, I mean, many years ago, I made a pretty conscious choice to, to not have negative people in my life and not have judgmental people in my life. So I, I was already pretty lucky in that it was unlikely that there was going to be anybody within my close circle who was likely to judge me. And run away. And run away. But saying that, I think that mm. the greatest pressure actually didn't come from other people. It came from myself. Mm. So, um, you know, nobody else was judging me, but I was really judging mm. me. And oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember that for myself when I was doing the whole panic dive bomb at, at work. Um, and it was quite severe. I didn't tell anyone. They had no idea. Yeah. Uh, I was absolutely terrified that um, people would find out and judge me. And it was a few people that kind of guessed what was going on and they had no judgment, but that still didn't stop me yeah. from hiding it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Often we, we worry that other people will, you know, think that we're not doing everything that we should be able to, but it's really, it all comes from internal. And it's understandable. Like, I, you know, as we talk about this, I keep flashing back to one of my favourite series on the TV, which was um, ER, mm-hmm. and uh, they had um, Sally Field on it, and she had manic depression. Uh-huh. And, oh, my God, she was portrayed as this crazy, unstable, um, unreliable mm-hmm. mother uh, that, you know, so if anyone had around that time some kind of diagnosis around that, um, and you had to go and tell someone, that's the picture people are getting. Yeah. They're getting on the on the media, either through, you know, popular TV or through um, 
something else that this person's got a quite a significant um, mental illness and yet statistics say that most of many of us do have a mental illness and we don't go out and attack people and we're not bad parents and, and so on and so on yeah and in fact the um, people who live with mental illness are far more likely to be the victims of violence than they are to actually be the perpetrator mm. um, but certainly if you read the newspapers or watch the news it would be Perceived yes. as the other way around. Because they were always looking for particular reasons. And, you know, when you think about um, someone that might be, you know, in deep distress and they're absolutely gone off the end and um, maybe even psychotic and they just don't know what they're doing, that's still pretty few and far between. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, th- I think really it is um, a, a lack of understanding from you know, the majority of society mm. who who think that those people are people to fear. Yes. Or like you were saying, people are unreliable or, um, you know, not to be trusted. They're going to let people down. And, you know, hey, I, I'd be lying if I said that there weren't times where I have let people down mm. and I have been unreliable. But it wasn't because I was being lazy. You know, it wasn't a life choice. Oh, I don't think I'll, you know go out with my friends today like I promised. Yeah. It was literally that the very idea of me leaving the house was so overwhelming, I couldn't even get dressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't that I wanted to be unreliable. It was just that really it was impossible to do anything else. So it is so important to surround yourself with people that are that you can actually be open and honest with and that there, the judgment isn't there. So that when you do have those rough days... Um, that you can honestly say, I can't, I can't make it today. And yeah. all is forgiven and you just keep going on. Yeah, absolutely. I th- and I think, um, you know, most people won't judge you It's if they know what's going on. Mm. It's often even, you know, however open I am about my struggles. Um, and I can be really open. I can tell anybody when I'm feeling good. But when I'm in that place where I'm not feeling good... I'm already feeling ashamed and embarrassed mm. and worthless. Mm. And so even though, you know, my he- in my head I'm saying, I-, I know, you know, Vanessa wants to help me. Why aren't I talking to her about what's going on? Because I know that absolutely without question that she'll be there for me. But there's that other louder voice at the time that yeah. says, she doesn't want to be worrying about your problems. Yeah. She's, you know, you're just nothing and nobody yeah. and... You can't burden her. No. Even though she does it for a job. <laughs> Even though she does it for a job. You know, now she's having to, to help one of her friends. Well, what kind of friend am I? You know, it just, just ridiculous thoughts that mm. go through mm. your brain at that point. Um, it's interesting you say that. As soon as you said that, I flashed back to one of my early essays I had to do for my counselling degree, which was on A Beautiful Mind, which mm-hmm. is Professor, Professor John Nash, the story of Professor John Nash, who yeah. had um, schizophrenia, pan- paranoid schizophrenia. And if anyone hasn't seen that movie, I really recommend you see it. Fantastic. It's absolutely amazing. But one of the things I had to do was literally go scene by scene and say, what's going on for this person? Mm-hmm. And it really is. It's those. It's that internal voice. And, and it was interesting. Andrew Denton also did a series on talking to people with mental illness. Okay. And he had this great interview with this young woman 
in the middle of a park who had um, schizophrenia. And he said, well, okay, so tell me what happens for you. And so she described the fact that she had these voices in her mind telling her this and that. And I sat there and I thought, well, hold on, we've all got a voice in our mind. Mm. Some, of them are, some of them are louder than others. Yeah. Some of them are positive. It's a positive voice because you might have got that reinforcement, as, you know, from a parent mm -hmm. or a really good mentor to tell you things are okay. But we all have a voice that's in our mind that criticizes, that judges. Yeah. And, and often it's us, you know. We wouldn't talk to our friends that way. Oh, goodness. The no. way that we talk to ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of people that have made it in life with quite significant mental health challenges. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you know, if you can reel off an entire list of them, you think about people who um, have bipolar, like I do, for example. Catherine Zeta-Jones, great example. Mm. Um, you know, has been very open in her struggle with bipolar, as has Stephen Fry. Um, also, Mel Gibson has bipolar. Carrie Fisher, who of course was Princess Leia in the original Star Wars. Mm. Um, and then you move on to things like depression. Um, often our funniest people mm. suffer from oh, very yeah. serious depression. Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, uh, Emma Thompson. Um, and then, you know, people that, that seem so confident and so talented who can have very severe anxiety and panic disorders. People like Adele, for example. Yes. Yes. She's never struck me as somebody who would panic about going on stage yes. um but she she actually has you know severe panic attacks social phobia um very bad stage fright and yet she she works on herself mm. to be able to you know still get that incredible talent and gift that she's got out into the world um so yeah i mean that it, it touches every area of society. Yes, because we're talking about those ones. They also have some sort of creative flair in them, Yeah, which is one of the key things that we wanted to talk about, certainly in a later podcast around the, the link between creativity and mental health problems. Yeah. But there are also people like Winston Churchill, yep. David Beckham, and others that are out there that had uh, a mental illness um, and or are still suffering with that mental illness, like mm -hmm. David Beckham has OCD. Um, so, you know, so things like that, quite severe panic um, and anxiety disorders can affect anyone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, but it, but it doesn't seem to matter to the press. Of course, they don't talk about those wonderful people who are achieving great well, things. Well, they don't highlight the no. fact that they're also carrying this burden with them. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's always portrayed in a very negative light although things are changing things are changing and I think you know on one hand I think that's great because I want people to know that you're more than a diagnosis yeah you're more than a label that's been stuck on you in fact they're really handy those labels the diagnosis is really handy to know what kind of treatment you get yeah and what would support you but it's not necessarily late easy or necessary to carry those labels around like a banner yeah <laughs> this is who i am stuck on your forehead yeah because you're more than anxiety yeah. you're more than your depressive order you're more than your bipolar you're yeah. more than that absolutely yeah and it's it's hard sometimes for the person who's living with it to view themselves as anything other than that yes. label yes um but the more that we talk open openly about mental health issues mm the more accepting we're going to be, the less those labels are going to matter 
um, you know, if people were judged on their abilities and their strength yes. and their character yes. rather than the label that society puts on them. And it helps also your family. Yeah. Once they know what's going on. <laughs> Gee, I remember my husband kind of looking at me going, oh, what do I do here? He had no idea because, you know, you have this woman who's in total meltdown mm -hmm. because I'm having anxiety attacks and I'm absolutely in my mind I'm going maybe I won't drive maybe I won't leave the house maybe I have to give up work this is all going on in my mind at 100 miles an hour yeah and he's he's not knowing what the hell to do because <laughs> I'm not sharing it yeah you know I'm just sitting there and just uh pretty stone and he's trying to help or trying to get on with life and of course i'm making excuses as to why i can't do x y and z yeah <laughs> yeah no i i completely agree you know once i had my diagnosis last year um you know kevin and i were able to look back over the last 12 years and say okay that's why i did that that's why i behaved that way yeah. that's why i thought that business idea was going to you know make me a millionaire and change the world and I was going to become the new Oprah um, and and you know I can look back and and really understand what was going on for me at the time because during that time I had no clue no no and I know you know from my perspective now understanding as an adult and looking back at my mother I thought all mothers were like that. <laughs> I thought they were all, you know, pretty much standoffish and slept in the afternoons and not understanding that what she had was quite a severe depressive um, disorder. But, yeah. you know, so from that perspective, understanding and sharing, especially with your family, what is going on um, so that they can have a better understanding of how perhaps you might be supported. Yeah. So did you and Kev talk about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, I have, as you know, bipolar type two, so I don't lose touch with reality. I have what they call hypermania. So I'm elevated, increased rate of speech, you know, fabulous business ideas that are going to, you know, make Save me the a million. World. And, uh, and that's all I think about for three or four weeks at a time. Um, and I get really irritable and, and sensitive to noise. Um, and so we did, when I was diagnosed, put in place a mental health care plan. So he knew that if ever I did lose touch with reality, he knows who to call. Mm. He knows when to call them. He knows what to allow me to do or what not to allow me to do. Um, and we also discussed it with the kids mm. um, because there are times where I really do need them to not make any noise or mm. certainly not irritating noises like tapping yep. um you know uh computer game noises or um banging and crashing about sometimes even the radio can irritate me beyond belief so it's it's much easier for me to be able to say look i'm not feeling great this morning i need some quiet or i need to go and have some time by myself in my room and just mm -hmm. lay down um, and it, it makes for, for better understanding for everybody. So the kids know that it's not just mum being a cranky cow. She actually needs some space and time. And they're, you know, even at, at 12 and 10, they're very understanding and very accepting and very supportive. Yes. 
Yes, and if they didn't know any of that, they wouldn't understand it and they wouldn't know when to step back and give you a breather. No, Yeah. absolutely, or when to just give me a hug. Yeah, and your husband wouldn't know when you needed further support, you know, more than potentially normal. Yeah. Especially in those, you know, times of the day where things seem to pile up. I remember my father telling me one vivid time, he, he said, you know, I need you to be... And it was really the first time he had an honest conversation. I must have been about 11. And he said, I need you to be um, a a little bit more quiet around the home and a little bit um, less boisterous because your mum is, she's not well at the moment. Mm -hmm. And he didn't tell me that she was having severe anxiety. Um, And, you know, in those days they called it a mental breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. So she was, she was going through quite severe, um, uh, anxiety and we had no idea mm-hmm. because all of that action happens inside the head yeah. <laughs> surprisingly there's no cast <laughs> that says I've got anxiety yeah. that you can put on your head or anything like that but that's essentially part of the problem mm. you're looking at someone and you can't see that yeah. particular illness and I know for me I did work for a little bit of time doing a disabilities coordinator um, at the university Um, And one of the key things was helping uh, lecturers and um, tutors understand that not all disabilities can be seen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we still need to think of ways where we can um, create an equal opportunity environment for those people that want to succeed because there are so many people that have succeeded. Yes. Why can't everyone have that opportunity? And, and it's a very good question, and, and I think some of it is about um, upbringing, yeah. and some of it is about you know, their creative abilities, uh, how they or whether they accept and are willing to work towards managing mm. their mental health challenges. Um, so, and of course, it's, it's also down to the individual's character, what support people have, um, what beliefs have been brought up yeah. with in terms of, and you know, this is largely a society belief of not understanding around the fact that all mental illnesses have a spectrum, so you can have a very mild um, issue and a very quite severe issue. And we're really talking about the general population where anywhere between mild to medium to high, but even then some really highly affected people are still quite brilliant. Yes. Like Professor John Nash won a Nobel Peace Prize for his mathematics. And, you know, he has a brilliant mind. Yes. Absolute brilliant mind. He also has several other people in his mind talking to him <laughs> all the time. That he doesn't necessarily want there. No. Yeah. No, he had to actually teach himself not to listen to them. You know, so there are people that are out there that can do such amazing things with really big diagnosis stuck on them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about uh, raising awareness and, and raising the conversation. About it's looking it. for strengths as yeah. well. You know, often when we get stuck with the diagnosis, we go, oh my gosh, you know, but we forget to look at our strengths. What are we good at? Because, you know, a mental illness is part of us. It's not all of us. Let's look at everything that we can do and really develop those areas. Not necessarily to save the world. <laughs> 
<laughs> you might not be the next Nobel Peace Prize uh, award winner. Well, I'm leaving. But you can be a very highly competent, capable, contributing person in society and in your family. Yeah. With the right support. Yes. And if necessary, medication. Yes. Um, and, you know, but that's part of, of it. Things. You know, for me, what I look for in, for people is what are your resources? Okay, so resources can be anything that support you and that can be medication, it can be your doctor, can be a really good relationship, whether that's your partner or a friend or a parent or a sister or or whatever it is. It can be anyone that is there, uh, you know, encouraging you and seeing the best in you. Yeah, and I I think, you know, it really has to be a, a holistic management system because certainly for me you know the medication got me from being it lost in that place Mm. to being able to think with more clarity to being able to remember what day of the week it was Mm. or you know have the ability to go for a walk but it's all the other things I also needed to implement some exercise some healthy eating Mm. some you know taking time for myself some open and honest communication um and and it you know different things are going to work for different people of course yeah absolutely but i think one of the key things that there that i always like to encourage people to do is about the healthy eating and understanding the link between the body and the brain yeah you know your brain cannot be healthy if you're not putting the right things into your body no absolutely Hmm. so uh, as i discovered with toast and chocolate yeah And the interesting thing is that, you know, that definition of what is healthy is different for everyone. Yes. And so I think the key thing is is to go back to your roots. Um, and it might be, you know, there's been a lot of looking at, um, you know, especially in our world today where there's a lot of migrants and a lot of um, refugees migrating from countries that are war-torn and, and they're coming from a, a, a culture and a way of eating that is significantly different from ours, mm-hmm. you know, and they're starting to get mental health problems. And so the question is whether that mental health problem is a result of the experiences that they've gone through or whether it's they're adopting a Western way of, of eating. Yeah. So it's a, you know, they're looking at the whole microbe thing within the body, the digestive system, the link to that, to the brain. Uh, there's lots of people that call the gut the second brain. Um, so we have to really think about what sustains it. So if you've come from, from an immigrant or a migrant background, then, you know, look at the foods that your ancestors were eating and look at how that was prepared. Yeah. The classic one is bread. You know, bread has been a staple diet for most of our civilization for hundreds and hundreds of years. However, the, the, the bread that we have now from the supermarket is vastly different <laughs> from what we ate 50 to yeah. 70 years ago. And we need to consider the impact of what modernization, what that has done on the actual benefit of the food. For me, if you're looking at something and it has to be fortified or it has to have vitamins or minerals added to it, yeah. I'm looking at, okay, maybe that's not necessarily good for us if you've got to put stuff back yeah. in for it to be edible and of a benefit to us. So, yeah. you know, I for one don't I avoid bread because I think we've had this discussion before. Yeah. As soon as I eat it, my anxiety comes back. Mm-hmm. 
So I know there's a very strong link there for me. However, you know, I, I haven't gone down the path to have a look, a look at, say, a natural sourdough bread and see if that has the same effect on me. Yeah. Maybe I'll get there. But at the moment, I'm quite happy not to eat it. <laughs> I was going to say it might be a recipe for disaster. You yeah. might discover it that it's... Uh, that it's fine and then all of a sudden you'll be hooked on sourdough. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, yeah, I've not eaten bread for about two years now, so I'm quite happy to give it a miss. Yes. Yeah, no, that's good. So in terms of pe- being able to support other people who, you know, have either just discovered or have been living with a mental health challenge for a long time, what's a good way that, that we can support those people? I think the first, as we've already talked about today, is avoiding the issue of judgment uh, and or looking for blame or reasons why that person might have a particular issue. Yep. Let's not blame it on their partner. Let's not even blame it on their parents. Um, it's just a, um, a product of where they're at right today. Mm-hmm. And we need to be able to support them rather than look for reasons and I think largely we do that because we're trying to sift through all the information to see could this happen to me yep <laughs> yes or also how is this going to affect me yeah if my partner or my friend or my colleague or my boss has uh, a mental illness yes how is it going to affect me am I in danger of you know um abuse or yeah. um, being let down yes um, being badly treated uh, so yeah ab- absolutely you know one of the fundamental things I like to talk to people about is how you actually support a partner whether they've got a mental illness or not mm-hmm. and that's one of the key things you know we've got this in a relationship we are either um, looking towards going out in the world so you've got a partner who's supporting you and encouraging you to go off to do work or do sport or whatever it is to make you happy and healthy yeah. or on onto a new endeavor and then we've got the flip side of that where they're coming back in they're needing support they're needing that intimate connection and that means we might be the person that sits there and listens to them and talks through what the issues are and so forth that's the same for any relationship whether you've got a mental health illness or not but yeah. specifically and very um, important for someone who has a mental health disorder is to have that capability to listen. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Listening and doing it without judgment. Yes. Deep, what we call empathic listening, which means I'm sitting with you. Yeah. I'm not in sympathy where I'm getting lost down the rabbit hole with you. I'm, you know, absolutely feeling completely helpless and terrified, just as you might be because of a diagnosis. But you are sitting there listening and you're being empathic, empathic, I can never say it. Empathetic. Empathetic, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Where you're actually feeling what this person might feel at that time. But you're being strong enough to say, yep, I'm right with you. Yeah, and I think also it's about putting your own agenda out of the way. Yes. So, um, you know, being able to, as you say, show some empathy being open, not making any assumptions. Uh, it's very easy because particularly as human beings, our nature is to want to fix people, particularly yeah. those people that we really care about. Yeah. So we want to make suggestions. We want to fix the person. Mm. And part of that, I think, comes from a place of not knowing what to do. Mm. Mm. And we're uncomfortable with that. Yeah. yeah. 
So we want to control the situation. Yes. We actually want to control our own anxiety yeah. around it so that we offer advice. Yeah. Which often absolutely fails. Oh, because, because more often than not, you've already, anything that somebody else could say to you in terms of advice, you have already said it to yourself mm-hmm. over and over and over again in your own head. Yeah. You know, why can't I just go out for a walk? Why can't I just do this? Why can't I just get over it? Yeah. And and so it's it is natural to want to try and help by fixing someone. Someone. Big note here. You can't fix anyone. No, 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 no. <laughs> Absolutely. Even as a counselor, my role is not to fix someone. Yes. My role is to create that space where you can get those jumbled thoughts in your mind out and sift through them and say what is real. Yeah. And to start, you know, challenging what those thoughts are so that you can start planning a way out of where you might be at that moment. That doesn't mean that you won't have anxiety or, or, uh, you know, any kind of manic or depressive episode in the future. It just means where are you right now and how do we get you into a better place? Teach you coping skills. Make sure you're resourced right um, so that you have the support to be able to do this over and over again. Yeah, it's. I guess it's like... um unraveling a big jumble of wool yeah you know with lots of ends and you're not quite sure and you just have to kind of pick apart every strand until they're all laid out ahead of you in in straight lines so you can see what each of them at least enough to be able to start knitting that row yeah (laughs) you don't necessarily have to untangle the whole lot but just enough to get you going it's a bit like christmas lights when you first get them out of the (laughs) out of the garage at christmas and it's just this big scary mess of of lights and cables yes get it out and start rolling out enough so that you can see what you need to do yeah and then you can plug it in and work out which lights aren't working yes Yes, that's right. Okay, so in terms of um, supporting someone when they come out, mm-hmm. so that's normally a term we use for something else, but come out and disclose the fact that they've got a mental health disorder. Yep. It is, a, uh, you know, come with no judgment, come with the ability to listen without offering advice. Yes. So don't need, feel the need that you have to fix someone and then um, be available to them and encourage them to look also at their strengths when that is appropriate. So don't dive in too quickly and say, oh, but Sharon, you're so good at this and you're so good at that and you're so good at this. I'm just, no, I'm just like, Sharon, yep, yeah. I'm with you right now. Yeah. 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 And, and another good thing to do is to ask the person directly what they need. Yes. Great. Because they may not know, but... It might get them to think, okay, well, what what do I think might help me right now? Yeah. Would it be a cup of tea? Would mm. it be someone to talk to? Would it simply be just to sit with somebody for a few hours yeah. with no expectation yeah. at all? Yep. Even if we watch, you know, the Hunger Games for the 45th time, <laughs> just having somebody there who doesn't expect or want anything from you can be really, really comforting. Actually, what you just said, that question is, you know, what, 
what can I do to support you or what would help you right now? Yeah. They're awesome questions because both of those things encourage the person to think with their logical brain. We often get lost in our emotional brain when we're in that mental health problem. But if we're encouraged to think with the logical brain, what would support me? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm sure we'll delve into this more as we go along. But but there are definitely some things not to say to somebody who has just disclosed that they're struggling to you. Um, and, and one of them that I can think of, you know, right off the top of my head is, but you always seem so happy. <laughs> yes. That's a classic one. Yeah. That is a classic one. All right. So we might actually talk about that in our next podcast. Sounds like a great idea. So until then, if you have any questions or want to share any information or a story with us, please reach out and contact us mm-hmm. on the Mental It's Anything podcast. You can find us on Facebook and uh, message us there. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Have a great day. See ya.